This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! Here's the thing about playwrights. Playwrights don't make any money unless you're actively producing your their show. Yeah. And they don't make much money then. So... Why does anybody want to be a playwright? No one does. We lose all of our good playwrights to film and television. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I can see that. Or, I mean, you know, if they were smart, they would go into novels. There's good money. If you know how to tell a good story, there's really great money in novels. There's this, like mythology that writers can't make money so a lot of people are just like well you can't make money as a writer so i'm not gonna try and I, you can you, you just have to not suck at it yeah and and you have to you have to have an you have to be an idea machine uh <laughs> that's true <laughs> i mean here's the thing i might be able to crank out one or two good novels yeah. but the spigot's off after that <laughs> like it's just the, the, the well has run dry. I tell you what, though, when your entire livelihood depends on coming up with another idea, <laughs> it does turn you, it, it makes you repair the spigot real fast. I bet it does. You get I good at plumbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I can't even tie plumbing. I was going to try to segue plumbing into, you know, glories in a, in a pit. Maybe there's some pipes down there. There is dripping water. There's a lot of dripping water and so, very slimy looking snakes. So speaking of plumbing, this has got to grow up sometime. A Swans Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. We watched episode 42. We sure did. Oh boy. Um, there was a lot of action in the snake pit in this one. Yeah. Here's the thing. There was a lot of action in the snake pit, but very little happened. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of action, little story. Most of it is Glory yelling no. Yeah, <laughs> and you know... I don't know. I, and, <laughs> I should have timed how much, like, nothing happens in the snake pit. It, it's... It's easily on par with the underwater somersaults in episode six. Yeah, I would have to... I would have to agree. And, and the funny thing, there was a point at which... I, I realized that Glory was getting more information than the Baldies were getting. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into it. Let's go over your predictions from last episode. Please. You thought that we would get the reveal that Barrick is in league with the Baldies or with the FBI guys, one of the two. Uh, not really. No such reveal. You figured Garrett would spend his time at home calling Sydney about Mila and Billy. Not exactly. No. Uh, Sydney's note to the Countess would be to inform her of the tryst that's happening between Mila and Billy, so Mila gets busted and Garrett has a chance to intervene. That hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but I'm going to give it to you because it right. happens in another episode. Yep, I believe it. You predicted that Billy would arrive and the Countess would interrupt his mealing with Mila, thank God. That his has not happened. His mealing with Mila? <laughs> his mealing, mealing with Mita. <laughs> And that Neil would finally come clean about the poetry notebook containing the UB2B formula. Man, I was heckin' dead wrong about that, and I am a little pissed off at Neil. <laughs> well, well, 
All right. Well, all that, right. That might happen soon. All right. All right. Do you want to talk about the thumbnail? It's very dark. <laughs> it is like there. Uh, it, honestly, you can't make out much of anything in this thumbnail. There is a curved, lighter line on the in the thumbnail. It could be the snake. It could also be someone's arm. It's so dark. It's not a well-lit snake pit. No, no. Speaking of the snake pit, we open in the snake pit. <laughs> hang on, hang on. We open on a snake crawling over a sewer grate that looks down on glory caught in the net above the snake pit. These are the best words I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glory peers at the snake from inside her hawser net. And the two baldies are talking quietly to the hooded satanic panic avatar in their <laughs> fake language. Uh, Glory is asking all of the stereotypical things. Who are you? What do you want? Why are you doing this? Let me go. <laughs> Etc. Like standard damsel in distress. Like if you wrote a handbook for how to be a damsel <laughs> in distress, Glory is following the playbook. <laughs> This is like the, uh, what's that website you can go to and it tells you how to do anything with really bad illustrations? <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Why can't I think of it right now? I've never heard of this and now I want to see it. Oh yeah, okay. it, it's a, it's a, you can Google something and you always get this one website that's like, here's how to do XYZ. Always click on that link because the illustrations are in entertainingly terrible. Fantastic. Okay, anyway. Uh, the Baldy shouts, be quiet, you stupid girl, to which Glory responds indignantly that she is not a stupid girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then Captain Baldy says, that's right, you are smart, too smart, and while they shredding guitar music plays. They shine flashlights in her face, which apparently is enough to shut her up. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. It's like, <laughs> she looks for a hot second like a deer in headlights. Like, what is happening? So at this point, I guess we can assume that the Baldies think Glory is the one behind Professor Van. Which they must believe since she has the poetry notebook, which contains the equations to UB2B in code form. However! However! How the fuck do the Baldies know that the poetry notebook has the equations in it? And also, wrong notebook. Right. Wrong notebook, but still, like, it's not yeah. like Glory has stood up in front of all of Swan's Crossing and given, like, a 1950s beat-style slam performance of JT's poetry, and Captain Baldy, with a bird nest on his head, was like, ah, that is the equation. <laughs> However, you've now, you've now made me really want a scene where Glory is Anne of Green Gables doing The Highwaymen. <laughs> You remember, you remember that scene? Oh, I do. Oh my gosh, so good. So that like, there's just there's no plausible reason for the Baldies to assume that nope. Glory has anything to do with Professor Van. Um, in fact, there's no plausible reason for the Baldies to know what the notebook contains. This is a mess, story-wise. Yeah, um, they are stupid girls. They, they are. <laughs> we cut to an FBI, I assume, some sort of investigator. He doesn't actually identify the organization he is with. But this man is holding Glory's headshot, his her framed headshot, and apparently Barrick urged them to check it out. They don't typically, quote, jump into investigations this early, so I'm assuming he's at least purporting to be from the FBI. I mean, he's wearing a suit, and Fox Mulder always wore a suit on the X-Files, so. You know, a lot of, you know, so do lawyers. 
I mean, I feel like there's a lot of... Suit Suit denotes a lot of things. That could be the title for this episode. If it's a red suit, obviously they're a sex worker. Yes, for sure. (laughs) The FBI guy questions the boys a little on when they last saw Glory and where. And uh, as as he he, he says he wants to... He mentions that he wants to talk to Callie as well, since she... Garrett says that Callie is Glory's house guest. And then JT leans forlornly against one of the porch posts. This... I assume this is the dictionary definition of mooning over someone. (laughs) That's what this is. Probably. The camera pans to a close-up on Neil, who genuinely looks like he is about to cry from the crushing remorse. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It is now nighttime outside on the booth is the booth's porch, so I assume since Glory like was vanished in the morning, it has been some time. Which is which is nice that there's a little bit of time continuity. Yes. <laughs> for <indeed>. a change. <laughs> um, then the FBI guy and Garrett have a minor squabble because Garrett can't treat anyone with basic respect as a fellow human being. Nope. The camera pans to them, and while Garrett is just staring at the FBI guy in the eye like a cold-hearted psychopath, because the FBI guy suggested that maybe Garrett did something to Glory because they had an argument. Now, as we have already established on this podcast, I listen to a lot of true crime documentaries, so I can tell you that it would be most unusual for a killer to contact the FBI himself to start an investigation (laughs) into a missing person. But that being said, Garrett is not helping his case by staring icily at the FBI agent and refusing to give straight answers to any of his questions. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just answering those questions with more questions. Yeah, it's it's real sus, Garrett. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so as the questioning continues, we once more see Neil, who looks like he wishes the ground would open up and swallow him. This man is having an incredible crisis of conscience, if if his face speaks true. He is, and, and mad props to Eddie Robinson, it's some good acting. Yeah. We cut over to Sydney dropping the Countess's card in a bag as Mila walks into Sydney's bedroom. Uh, Mila's gonna take them... <laughs> Sydney instructs Mila to take the clothes that she bought... Sort them into maybes and no's, and then they're going to go through all the maybes when Sydney gets back. That's right, because you know what this TV show is definitely missing? More scenes of people trying to decide on outfits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, it's it just, it really escalates the dramatic tension. Sure does. <laughs> oh, jeez. Back at the snake pit, the Baldies tell Glory she has a little book and they want it. Glory says no, so one of them pulls out a prop knife and brandishes it. Can we talk about how Glory's face has gotten dirty for literally no reason in this scene? Like, she is clean as a whistle in the previous scene, and we cut back, and her face is, like, completely smudged. Right, she's grimy, and there's also, like, some sweat or maybe some dripping water kind of rolling down her face. It's pretty great. It is fantastic. Uh, Fortunately, they only use the prop knife to cut the ropes binding her hands. Glory pulls the poetry notebook from her inside shirt pocket, or possibly from inside her bra. No judgment, Glory, we've all done that. And protests that the poems were written for her! And then he just, like, reaches in and takes them. <laughs> but I would like to go back for a moment, because there is a the briefest of shots when he's cutting the rope, binding her hands, where you can clearly see that the rope is 80% already cut through. <laughs> like, the rope, the rope has been... All but severed <laughs> when the prop knife is inserted into the bo- the bonds, and it is hysterical to me because it is thick, like 
like ship rope. <laughs> it's hilarious. Somebody was like, we've tried to cut through this several times and it's taking too long. Can we get somebody in here with the scissors? So we cut to the theme song and then we come back. We're at the swan-shaped phone booth outside Swan's Cafe. A line of girls is waiting to use the phone, but Sydney is hogging the line. Yeah. These are extras that we have never seen before, to my knowledge. And this was the first time I saw the swan's eyes light up. Oh, yeah. Because the camera focuses in on it. <laughs> Jeez. Sydney tells the other girls that this phone call could be a while. They leave in a huff. And then we realize that she's trying to call Glory. Yeah, we get a split-screen conversation with... Her and Garrett, who, to his credit, seems completely out of it with Glory missing. Yeah, but what's interesting to me is that he answers the phone, like, yelling Glory's name, thinking it's Glory calling. If Glory was going to call home to be like, hey, I got lost or whatever, why would she call her personal phone number in her bedroom? That's a great question. I mean, uh, not a lot makes sense. They don't have a set for the rest of the house, Libby. Also, why doesn't Sydney ask... (laughs) About what's going on with Glory. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Just, it's clearly, Garrett's, like, upset. Yeah. Sydney doesn't know Glory's missing, right? No, she does not know yet. Yeah, no idea. And yeah. doesn't ask, doesn't seem to care. Sydney starts stammering about how she really wanted to talk to Garrett anyway, but she called Glory's line because of the optics of potentially getting Garrett's dad on the line in the midst of the Merrill race. And Garrett cuts her off, asking if she has seen Glory. Yeah. And and she says, no, the only person I've seen is Mila. And she called to give him an update. And he, she tells him everything is going beautifully and all he has to do is show up at Swan's Soda Shop tomorrow. And he hangs up fairly quickly. This gives me hope that tomorrow Billy Gunn will actually arrive. Maybe in the next episode. Perhaps. Mm. (laughs) Well, then we cut to the tool and die. I... Love this scene. Oh, me too. (laughs) I love this scene so much. Take us through it. (laughs) Jimmy walks in. Everything is still pretty much a mess from his and Callie's fight. He's he's calling for Barrick. Doesn't hear anything. Puts on Barrick's leather jacket and the jeweler glasses. Uh, obviously a cool guy accessory with a with a deep history in our in our pop culture. Right? (laughs) He walks around the shop, jumping on, like, the work table, weaving this fiction for himself where he's an internationally known jewel thief, too smart and stealthy to be caught as he's stealing gems. And then, he, as he's playing with the jeweler's glasses, looking at some, like, nuts and washers in his hand, he hits something and realizes the jeweler's glasses are a secret camera. Oh my god! What?! (laughs) I think this is the only scene we get with Jimmy in the sh- in the episode, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> so good. I can't wait to come back to this. Only one Jimmy scene, but boy, it was not wasted. It was mm, so tasty. Perfect Jimmy scene. He's still in the white t-shirt, everybody, by the way. He's not back in his, like, Myers automotive parts or whatever it is. Right. We cut back to the booth porch. Garrett is yelling at the FBI agent again while... Oh, I wrote Jimmy and Neil, but that's not right. While JT and Neil yep. look upset... And the FBI guy gives Garrett a business card and tells him to call him if he hears anything or if he has something he wants to tell him. So clearly he still thinks Garrett is a murderer. Yep. Which, well, you know, good call. I mean, really, really. I mean, he's, he's definitely putting off Junior Varsity Bundy vibes. Until so. he gets eaten by Krampus, this man is a danger to himself and others. <laughs> that is a reference to our Christmas special, in case you did not listen to it. I highly recommend 
that you do not skip that one. It's worth it. Or or even better, listen to it in sequence, and then when you get done with this podcast, when we get done with this podcast, go back and listen to it again, because I think I have a feeling, I don't know how this season of Swan's Crossing ends, but I have a feeling you're going to want to revisit... <laughs> Uh, Garrett being taken by Krampus. I do, I will say, it takes place the Christmas after the events in the TV show. And also, it provides some closure that we didn't get because we're denied a season two. I love it. uh, Denied a season two? That's very generous, Lily. How dare you? (laughs) We were spared a season two. I will never forgive you for that remark. (laughs) Saja comes running in after the investigator... Uh, leaves. He's he he says that he's looked all over the east side of town and didn't see Glory anywhere. So Neil offers to stay at the house so Garrett can search, and they will uh, beep, and, and and Neil will beep JT if anybody calls. So JT and Garrett immediately start to leave, but in opposite directions. And Saja is put in the in the position of having to choose between them, and obviously chooses going with JT. Right, because Garrett's going to murder you off in the bushes somewhere. Yeah. And the moment they're gone, Neil runs inside the house. Just like slams through that door and is gone. Cut to the snake pit again. Oh, this is one of my favorite moments. So good. The Baldy is reading Rocket to Paradise. <laughs> specifically the section where JT is asking Glory to sit on his ladder. It's so good. He's very confused by it, but on the word rocket, the Baldies exchange a meaningful <laughs> look <laughs> while a snake hisses for emphasis. Nothing would make me gladder if you ride... On my ladder, a ladder, a rocket, to paradise. What is this? It is extra gross. I just want to add when it's read by an adult man instead of a teenage girl. It is, yes. It is at the moment that they are uh, responding to the word rocket that I thought... I saw the face of the masked Baldy for a hot second, which I now think was actually just the snake in a weird position because <laughs> it looks it looks like Snake Guy is wearing some sort of horrific Doctor Who reptile mask. <laughs> It is, it, is, it is very, very brief. I actually rewound it and looked at it again. And I think after like finishing the scene, I'm pretty sure it's just the snake in an odd position. But it does look for a hot second like this, this man is wearing a mask. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I missed that. The other Baldi insists that Glory tell them of her operation, and he says they know of your signal. Uh, The signal is the Fabian Shade. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that the stupid, stupid Fabian Shade is still, like, driving the mechanism of this plot. I love it. It... uh, I don't. But that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The Baldis seem to believe that the Fabian Shade represents some sort of PhD person... And they demand to know what Dr. Fabian's field of interest is and what he has published. <laughs> Where he has published his scientific papers. And Glory tries to explain that the face on the shade is a signal between her brother and his girlfriend. And, and that it, Fabian is a singer. Yes. And at the suggestion that Glory's brother could be behind the shade, the Baldies mutter and the snakes hiss. They think, they ask if Garrett is a physicist. <laughs> Glory explains that he's a complete dummy. <laughs> 
that's right. He had to go to summer school last year to pass biology. So now we know why he was in France. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Captain Baldy accuses her of lying, and there's this amazing back and forth moment between the two of them where instead of cutting between cameras, the camera literally pans back and forth as each of them have their lines. Pans is a generous way of describing that. Jerks. I would say it swings wildly back and forth. <laughs> but finally they start lowering the net closer to the pit of snakes and Glory screams. I love that there is a actual crank on this wall specifically for the purpose of raising and lowering. It is a hand crank. Whereby they raise and lower this net towards the snakes. Eventually we will find out the location of the snake pit. And it will just be even funnier that like someone constructed this elaborate snake pit dungeon with cranks and nets and everything. And it's still in working order. Obviously it is. Oh, I love it. It's the old Clayton estate. We cut to commercial. And when we're back... Neil is in Glory's room looking for the original poetry notebook. Did you get commercials this time? Because I got no commercials. I got no commercial. No weird bounty ad. No, but I did get the weird bounty ad at the very beginning, and I watched it more closely this time. (laughs) And it's even more unsettling because, like, the hands, you can see a woman's hands throughout this thing, and she has blue nail polish on, but it's, like, really bad. Like, she needs to go get a manicure. Like, it's all chipped and gross and, like, grown out. And I was like... Who made this commercial and why were they like, this is fine. Let's let's go with this. Welcome to Bounty, the podcast within a podcast where we talk about the Bounty commercial <laughs> on Shout Factory TV. <laughs> Bounty's Crossing, the podcast within a podcast. Oh my god. Gotta clean up sometime. <laughs> We gotta, you gotta move that. We gotta move that to begin every time we, every time we do this from now on. That's the intro. That's the intro to this segment where we talk about the bounty ad. Oh, gotta clean up sometime. God, I hate that commercial. I, I want. The title of this episode is Gotta Clean Up Sometime. I hope you know that because nobody is going to remember anything in this episode except this section. (laughs) I'm not going to remember anything in this episode except this section. I'm laughing so hard I'm having an asthma attack. Oh no. Okay. Hang on, let me take a couple breaths. Ladies and gentlemen, we've killed my (laughs) co-host. This will be the last Swans Crossing episode. No, Swans Crossing gotta grow up sometime because she does all the work. I'm a ghost now. I literally have no idea how to upload our podcast to media services. (laughs) We get a voiceover. Neil asks himself, if I were a girl and I had something special that I wanted to hide where no one would find it, where would I put it? And he begins the search. It's, it really is. The voiceover is fantastic. It is one of my favorite parts of this. Because there are so many times, like, for example, the the gym, the, 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 the Jimmy scene that we just saw could have had a voiceover instead of him actively talking throughout that section. And it would have been a lot better. But in, you know, at least this time we get it. It could have, but you gotta go light on voiceovers because otherwise it ends up like uh, the uh, the David Lynch version of Dune, oh. where like everything is in voiceover, Oof and you're da. like, all right, yeah. I'm, 
Even me being stoned is not stoned enough to handle David Lynch's Dune. I can only imagine how great the space worms are. Oh, man. <laughs> if you're stoned. You know what, though? Like, for real, I, I loaded up on edibles and went and saw the new Dune twice in theaters over in Seattle. Oh, my God. It was so good. <laughs> that movie was made for stoners. I believe <laughs> it's you. great. I believe you. We cut back to the snake pit again, where Glory is still cringing from the snakes. They, they're asking her if someone had to give her the scientific papers or microfilm, and she's like, I don't know, and they start calling her a liar, and this is repeated a lot. Yeah, it goes on for a while. Yeah. One of the Baldies does suggest, you dropped off microfilm to special person, <laughs> and this line cracks me up. No, 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 no. If you listen carefully, what he says is, macrofilm. <laughs> I think it's because of the dialect, but it's I was I was trying to imagine film that's big. <laughs> Macro film. I have a tube here for somebody. It's an eight foot tube. It's macro film. We've taken we've taken the important documents and blown them up. Oh my god. They start yelling about Professor Van. Glory has no idea. They lower the net a little more. Ah, the questioning continues, and finally. The hooded rope satanic panic snake guy steps forward, lifts his python slightly from his shoulders, and whispers, My pretty feels hungry. Yep, that happens, folks. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> also, I, I want to, I just, in addition to them calling her a liar a lot, they, <laughs> they repeatedly say throughout this, we start again. <laughs> They start again so many they times. They start again many, many times. Back in Glory's room, Neil has kicked into high gear. He's rummaging through every part of the room while the guitar music shreds like crazy. He eventually dives under the bed. <laughs> I love that. It like, is really not, funny. It's not enough to just look under the bed. He has to go all the way under. My favorite part about it, though, is that he goes in stomach down... If you're trying to look for something under a bed, go on your back because yeah. it's probably on the top. Right, would be it's my be guess. Like in the slats or whatever. Yeah, we cut back to Mila trying on black pants with metal studs and a matching vest. Pretty fancy. Oh my! Sydney's back, and it took longer for her to go around because it's Ralph's day off, and she had to walk everywhere. How <laughs> dare he? That. How dare he? <laughs> She says, I was almost tempted to get on a bus. Oh my god, the iniquity. She's carrying a huge shopping the bag. The iniquity? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you mean indignity? Or did you mean iniquity? <laughs> no, I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm going to say yes to that. Okay. <laughs> oh, the iniquity. <laughs> Sydney is carrying an absolutely huge shopping bag from which she pulls a very tiny package of temporary tattoos. Yep. Remember temporary tattoos? I do. I mean, I think they're still available. They're still out there. You can still get them. They are. But I do remember back in the early 90s, they were like super popular. And I, I even seem to remember that my school in seventh grade banned them. I don't know why. I, I think it was probably just because kids were like distracting each other in class. would be like, look at my tattoo. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. 
I do yeah. remember them fading fairly quickly. Like, if you didn't get it on there good, it was gone within a couple of hours. Like, yeah, they would get peach- all, like, crumbly yeah. and rub off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, but, you know, I I, uh, I guess I fell prey to the insidious early 90s charm of temporary tattoos because the very first thing I did when I became a legal adult was get a real-ass tattoo <laughs> right above my ass. <laughs> And you know what? Contrary to popular myth, to what everyone says about tattoos, especially getting tattoos when you are young, I have never regretted that one. I still love my first tattoo, though I was smart enough to get it in a place where I wouldn't have to see it myself. So if I did end up hating it, I could forget it was there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. They they decide where... They, they go through a couple of places where Mila could put this tattoo, and they seem to end up on the arm. And at the, at the moment that she's holding it up to the arm, we see that it is a snake coiled around a knife. Ah. And then we cut back to the snake bed. <laughs> <laughs> of course we do. So many times we cut nice back to the snake bed. Nice transition. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Baldy demands to know the uses of eutranium, which Professor Van has apparently found new uses for. Again, Glory has no idea. Yeah, Glory's like, what the hell? Finally, one of the Baldies actually pokes a snake into a gap in the net, and it crawls inside to Glory's horrified screams. And we cut to commercial. Go when ahead. we come back from commercial, Neil pops out from under Glory's bed and <laughs> says to himself, she put her favorite thing... With her other favorite things. As one does. As one does. So he scrambles up, he goes to her kind of armor bookcase thingy, picks up JT's picture, and there on the back of the frame is the original poetry book affixed with masking tape. Didn't the baldy look at that photo when he was searching the room? Yes, but I think the implication is that Glory put it there later, like okay. after that happened. All right. But, I'm suspicious. But yeah, he did. Okay. Sure. Then we're back in the snake pit again. No, 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 no. He, he, starts, he starts leafing through the book. Oh, yeah. Obviously relieved to have found it, and apparently way less concerned about Glory's safety than he is about having found this notebook. <laughs> oh, Neil. Crisis of conscience averted. <laughs> <laughs> On with business. Then we're back in the snake pit again. This is starting to get tedious. The Baldies declare that Glory is useless, and they debate what to do with her. Like, she is spending this whole scene essentially professing her lack of knowledge and begging to be released. And I was rolling my eyes so hard that I think they turned back into my head. I was looking at my brain. Well, Snake Guy returns his python to its burlap sack with a dejected air. And then they all just leave while the shredding guitar music plays on. And and Glory begs them not to leave her alone. The holes in this net are easily big enough for her to crawl through if the writers had given her any sense of agency whatsoever. Right, but then after she crawls out of the net, she's got to walk through, like, ankle-deep snakes. Well, the guys are out there in ankle-deep snakes. Yeah, it's fine. Like, the snakes aren't biting them. It's not a big deal. So, we cut to Saja, who is on his scooter, apparently on the same set where Jimmy had his motorcycle accident. Yes, it's on a road. He's picking up a cotton ball from the road as JT rides up on his scooter, and JT doesn't make anything of a cotton ball, but Saja thinks that there's a connection because it's the second cotton ball he's found on this road. <laughs> so they decide to continue down the road. It's a trail of cotton balls. It is the trail of breadcrumbs vis-a-vis cotton balls. It's ridiculous. Back in the snake pit again. Ugh. 
Purely so that we can see Glory is unconscious now. Presumably passed out from fright or something like that. But the snake is climbing out of the burlap sack and into the net with her, heightening our sense of Glory's imminent danger. And Gabaldi peers at her menacingly through the mesh of the net. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Someone masked comes down the ladder back into the room. Oh, that's right. And I want it noted, this is not a ladder that's a rocket to paradise. <laughs> and... The the man creeps across the room. We get shots of snakes slithering below. The rope on the crank fraying. And the snake in the net. And then he peers at Glory. And we freeze on Glory's unconscious form and roll credits. So terrifying. Who was our psychopath of the week? I mean, it kind of has to be Garrett, right? I, I, I mean, the Baldies are also in the running for Psychopath of the Week this this week because they're giving up far more information than they are getting from Glory. That's true, and also, is Snake Guy in the running? I mean, we don't... He's he, This is the first time we've ever seen him, as far as we I, know. I am also, at this point, not fully convinced that the guy who came back into the Snake Pit is a Baldy or the Snake Guy. I think it's someone else. Maybe so. Maybe so. But, regardless, who is our Psychopath of the Week? Uh, yeah, probably probably Garrett. Okay. <laughs> it's probably always Garrett. It's almost always Garrett. Do you have our swan count? Uh, two new fake swans. We had the swan in the credits and the, uh, the payphone swan. So that brings our count to four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 109 other swans. Wow, nice. All right, lay your predictions on me. So I think we get a we get a reveal about who the masked person who's back in the in the snake pit is. Probably Barrick, uh, and he I think that person is there to rescue her, and he pulls her out of the snake pit as Saja and JT ride up. Either Billy is never going to arrive, or he comes in the next episode. <laughs> we find out where Garrett has gone to search. Probably I don't know the woods, the baseball field. Wherever. And I think in the next episode, it becomes very clear that Neil doesn't care about whether Gloria returns safely now that he's found the notebook. And Jimmy starts to look around the tool and die for other mysterious spy apparatuses. That's what I think happens. Okay, well, it certainly will be an exciting episode next week as we continue with this uh, tedious snake pit adventure. <sighs> And, uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing seeing whether any of your predictions were correct at all. I mean, probably not. I don't, I don't feel very strongly about any of those, so... I don't know. Uh, a few might, might, might work. All right. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up. So, that is the name of our theme song, right? Yes. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up, sometime from the hit show Swan's Crossing. I should just read it off of my notes. I've got the sentence in here every time. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram at Gotta Grow Up Pod. No, we're on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod and on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod. It's a great day today. We're on the ball. And until we meet again, friends, may all your macro films be dropped off <laughs> to very special people. <laughs> Bye. Gotta grow, gotta grow up